Jonah. So you can find your way over to the book of Jonah. If you take your Bible and open it kind of in the middle and go a little bit further towards the end, okay, uh, you'll find your way to the book of Jonah. That's where we're going to be jumping into Jonah this morning. Find your way. If you can't find Jonah, then just find Obadiah, and it's right after that, okay? It comes right after, right after Obadiah, okay? And so uh, find your way there, and uh, you'll, you'll find your way to Jonah. Chapter number one is where we're going to be this morning, just beginning. If this is your first time at Whitehall Baptist Church, or maybe the first time in a while, I want to say welcome to you, and thank you for joining us. And uh, you came on the right day. You jumped at the beginning of a study, so congratulations, uh, as, as you just heard, uh, the previous beginning was like, you know, back in August the 2nd of 2020, okay? And so you came at the right Sunday, all right? We're going to be diving into a new book study this morning, and uh, it's going to be a, a tremendous blessing to us, I know, as we, as we jump into it. Jonah, and uh, I'm talking a little bit extra because I know if, if you're like me, finding those middle books of the Bible is near impossible, okay? If you can't find it at the front of your Bible, there'll be a little, uh, uh, a little concordance that you can, uh, can help you to find it. And if you still can't find it, um, mine is on page number uh, 1,209, okay? And so I don't think that's going to be any help to you, but uh, maybe. Who knows? If you have the same one as me, then maybe you'll be able to find it, all right? Jonah is where we're going to be. Hey, let's, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help this morning, and then we're going to dive into God's Word together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity you give us to be able to open your word. And thank you, God, as we study uh, this new book of the Bible this morning, Jonah. God, I pray that you would already begin to open our hearts. I know that there's probably some in this room that, much like I did when I first started this, Lord, just kind of thinking, oh, I've heard this before. But I pray, God, that we would come to this passage with fresh eyes and with a fresh heart and desire to allow you to speak to us, Lord. I pray that we'd see something new this morning that maybe we haven't seen before. You know, God, that you've used, even over this last week as I've studied, God, that uh, you, you've used your word so powerfully in my heart and in my life as I've learned more from this book of Jonah. I pray, God, this morning you'd help us to bring our thoughts into captivity, be able to focus on your word, and God, that you would speak to us directly from it. We'll give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor through it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, few books in the word of God have just just honestly been more misunderstood what the point of it was than the book of Jonah. This small book with only four chapters, okay, it finds its way uh, right in the middle of a collection of books that we have come to affectionately call the minor prophets. Now, uh, nowhere in the Bible does it call these books the minor prophets. We, we mentioned this last week. Whoever called these books minor prophets, uh, they need to you know, just go find another job, okay? Because there's nothing minor about these books of the Bible. In fact, they're very powerful. There's a lot of incredible teachings uh, in these books whenever you really dive into them and study them. But the truth is this, from the time that we were but children and we heard the story of Jonah, we, we all put it together that, that listen, the, the main point of Jonah was Jonah and the whale, right? Okay, that's, that's what we know, all right? Everybody thinks, okay, what do we know about Jonah? Well, we know Jonah and we know the whale, okay? And those are the, the, main, uh, the main characters in this book of Jonah, right? That's, that's what we think, at least that's what we were taught since we were children. I remember as a child uh, sitting in Sunday school and, and back then we had the flannel graph board, board right? You know, and, and I remember, you know, the, the, the little Jonah and I remember the whale and I remember Jonah sliding behind the whale and now he was in the whale's belly you know i mean i i remember that and that that's what we learn about the book 
of Jonah. That's what we uh, have, have, have been taught about the book of Jonah. But the truth is this, the Bible only refers to the fish. It actually never calls it a whale. It only refers to the fish four times. Four times a fish is mentioned in the book of Jonah. And all the, the chapter of, all the book of Jonah, four chapters, all the verses in Jonah, it's only mentioned four times. And it's mentioned four times in three verses. In fact, it's only mentioned in the last verse of chapter number one, the first verse of chapter number two, and the last verse of chapter number two. That's the only time that it's mentioned. In fact, the, 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 the whale or the fish in Jonah is really just a character to move the plot along, to move God's plan along. It's just a tool. Uh, in fact, it, it's not even a major focus, really, in the book of Jonah. And yet we have drawn so much attention to it. Well, we may have come to know the story of Jonah as Jonah, Jonah and the whale. The truth is the real point of the book is Jonah and a merciful God. We're going to see that as we weave our way through these four chapters, this incredible example over and over again of God's incredible mercy. While most of the minor prophets that we would go through deal with a message from a prophet, most of the, the, the minor prophets, they, they deal with somebody, a man, that God gives a message to, and that man is commanded to go, and, and he goes to a, a town or a city or a people, most of them Israel, and he would proclaim a message to them, most of the time a doomsday message that, hey, listen, you're about to be destroyed, okay? That, that's usually what would take place. The book of Jonah, while yes, there is a message that's been given to a prophet does not focus on that message. Rather, it focuses on the prophet. It's, it's not a message from a prophet, it's a message to a prophet. It, it was sometime around early to mid 700 BC when these events took place. Israel had split into its northern and southern kingdoms, and Elisha, the great prophet, had just stepped off the scene and passed on into heaven. On the stage had stepped these three prophets of Israel's whose name are probably familiar, one being Hosea, another being Amos, and the third one being this man named Jonah. The head of the northern kingdom at this time was, was a man, was a king by the name of Jeroboam II. It can get a little confusing. There's two guys named Jeroboam that we find there in the scriptures. This is the second Jeroboam, okay? So don't get confused. I know you were already confused, much like I was, okay? Jeroboam II. It was under his reign that the northern kingdom profited and increased in size. They were expanding, but they didn't do it while seeking the blessing of God. That's, that's not what happened. In fact, the Bible tells us that King Jeroboam was an exceptionally wicked and evil king. In 2 Kings chapter number 14, verse number 24, it says this, And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, okay, the other Jeroboam, who made Israel to sin. He was a, an evil king that led Israel to do wickedness, to do sinful things. He led them to an idolatrous relationship uh, with, with all kinds of little g gods. Even still, God sent one of his prophets to deliver good news to King Jeroboam that Israel was going to expand their land. That, that prophet, well, we find him in, in verse number 25. 
The Bible tells us he restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath until the sea of the plains, according to the word of the Lord of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gethhepher. Jonah, this, this prophet, God used to deliver a message to a wicked king. This, this often happened, but, but it wasn't normal. It wasn't often that God used the prophet to come to a wicked king and to deliver good news. Hey, King, King Jeroboam, just so you know, you're going to overtake more land. You're going to expand your kingdom. You're going to grow. You're going to have success. In, in this time period, Israel, the northern kingdom was profiting. It was growing. It was at a point in time where they didn't think they needed God. And on the scene, we find this, this little prophet, this man by the name of Jonah. Jonah was from that small town called Gath-Hefer, okay? We probably, none of us have probably ever heard of that before. In fact, this week until I read that, I didn't even know that that's where Jonah was from. It wasn't too far from another city that we would know a little bit better called Nazareth. That's where Jonah's hometown was, just a small town. And this was a nation with an evil leader. And it must have felt great to have this good news delivered that his nation was going forward. And what an opportunity for the prophet. I mean, for for Jonah to be able to come and be the one that was delivering that good news. See, Jonah was... He was, he was from Israel. He was an Israelite. I mean, no doubt he had national pride that this is where he was from. And, and he was delivering the good news that his nation was going to win. His nation was going forward. To be able to proclaim, proclaim that his nation was going to expand and take new territory. What national pride Jonah must have felt. Now, to the northeast of Jonah's hometown, a little ways away, was another country. A country called Assyria. At this point in time, Assyria was the world power of that day. It was the most powerful nation in the world. For centuries, they had gone forward conquering and growing. At this time, it was home to one of the largest populated cities on earth. One that we'll become very familiar with. The city of Nineveh. Nineveh was about 500 miles away from Jonah's home, home city, hometown. And, and listen, it was a city of immense proportion and, and population. The inner walls of Nineveh, just the inner walls of the city, were about 50 feet wide. A basketball court is about 50 feet wide. So, so the, the walls were about 50 feet wide and 100 feet tall, 10 stories tall. That was the inner wall. And it was about eight miles in circumference. Just the inner wall of that city. That didn't include the suburbs that stretched on for miles and miles and miles. This was a city of power and of recognition. People knew about Nineveh. But they were also known for their incredible cruelty when they would overtake another city. The, this city of Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, they, they worshipped many gods, but one of the gods that they worshipped was the god of Ashur, and, and, and he was a vicious, vicious god. They were known 
to impale their enemies on stakes in front of their town and hang their heads from the trees of the king's garden. They tortured their captives in in every way that they could come up with. Uh, Every imagination that they could, could come up with. They would hack off noses and ears and fingers. They would gouge out eyes. They would tear off lips and limbs. They would skin people and hang their skins on the outside of the wall so that everyone could see just how powerful and instill the fear in all of their enemies, those that would pose against them. They were a wicked, terrifying group of people. And to make matters worse, one of the prophets of that day, one of the other prophets that we mentioned, Amos, came along and prophesied to King Jeroboam after Jonah had come and prophesied they were going to overtake some land. Amos came along and prophesied, well, yeah, you're going to do that, but after that, you're going to be overthrown by the country of Assyria. This was the stage that was set when we find our way to Jonah chapter number 1. Jonah, a man full of national pride, a, a man that was, that was glad to be an Israelite, a man that was glad to be part of God's chosen people. Knowing what was coming, knowing that that God had prophesied by another prophet that this other nation of Assyria, this other nation of uh, city of Nineveh was one day going to overtake his own country. And we come to verse number 1. The Bible says this in Jonah 1, verse number 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great or massive city and cry against it for their wickedness has come up before me. God commanded Jonah to go to this wicked, ungodly city and to preach to it. God has seen their wickedness, their, their, their sinful lifestyle. What's unusual is that normally when God called a prophet to proclaim a message against a nation, that nation was usually... The nation of Israel. But this nation of Assyria, Nineveh in particular, was a Gentile nation. It was not an Israeli nation. These were not God's people. These people had no covenant. They had no promise. In fact, they were the enemy of God's people. So why would God waste His time sending one of His prophets to this heathen land? Especially... With a message that that later we're going to look at that simply proclaimed their coming destruction. Well, he did it for an example to Israel and to us today. That it doesn't matter how far you are from God. His word can still transform your life. Friend, we're going to spend the bulk of our time in the next verse today, verse number 3. We won't spend a ton of time in verses 1 and 2 this morning. But we can't skip over the mercy of God that is so clearly shown in these first two verses. The people of Nineveh had done absolutely nothing to earn or to deserve to hear God's word. 
They've done nothing to deserve to hear and receive this warning from God. And yet, God in His mercy desired to send a man with a message from God to them. You may be here today, far from where you ought to be. You may not have a relationship with God. Maybe you don't know Christ as your Savior. Maybe you're in the right place physically, geographically. You're in church but your heart's a million miles away from where it ought to be. Today, the mercy of God is so evident because He's allowing you to hear a simple point from Jonah chapter number 1, verses 1 and 2 to try to get your attention that God is merciful and God is gracious. And no matter who you are or where you're from or what you've done, God can give you mercy. There's no one that's too far from God. There's no one that's gone too far away from Him. There's nobody that God can't bring back. There's nobody that God cannot save. There's nobody that's sitting here under the sound of my voice that sins so much that God says, well, I'm done with you. Listen, the, king, the kingdom of the city of Nineveh was an absolutely wicked, wicked, wicked city. Evil to the core. And yet God in His mercy was sending a prophet to them. To proclaim a message, not that I'm going to destroy you today, but I'm going to give you 40 days before I'm going to destroy you. What mercy of God. And no matter who you are here today, it doesn't matter how far away you are from God. God's mercy can extend to you. As we continue on to verse number 3 today, We see Jonah's response to God's command. And this is where we're going to spend the rest of our service, is right here in this verse. Look with me, if you would, at verse number three. After God had come to to Jonah and arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, preach against it. Verse number three. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We're familiar with this. I I doubt that there was anybody in here this morning that whenever we talked about the command of God that you were sitting there going, I wonder what Jonah did, okay? I'm sure everybody here was sitting there going, yeah, we know what happens next, okay? Jonah runs the other way, okay? Jonah doesn't do what God told him to do. And listen, listen, I know know that you knew that. I know that you already know these things, but listen, let's look at it with fresh eyes and understand what exactly was happening here. We know the story of Jonah We know that he went down to Joppa, that he got on a ship headed to to Tarshish. But listen, this is amazing to me. Tarshish, I think we got a picture of it. It was all the way over in Spain. It it was somewhere around 2,000 miles away from Joppa. 2,500 miles away from the place that God told him to go. Listen, it was a long time before Columbus sailed the ocean blue, okay? A long time after that. At this point in time, Tarshish in modern, modern day Spain was considered the end and the edge of the world. It was as far as exploration had gone. That was, that was as far as they could go. And, 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 and after that, you had the, 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 the ocean. And, and, and this, was, this was the end of the world in their mind. So Jonah literally, 
Literally, not only was he trying to flee from the presence of God, which, which is such a foolish thing, we know. But he was trying to go to the edge of the world to do so. He was going as far away as he could. Now we know it's a foolish thing to, to, to try to flee from the, the presence of God. Genesis chapter number 3 gives us the first example of, of somebody trying to do that. In Genesis chapter number 3, we know Adam and Eve, they had taken of the forbidden fruit. They had eaten of it. And the Bible tells us that when they did, in verse number 8, they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. What a foolish thing. Listen, uh, Adam and Eve found it and Jonah knew it too. You can't flee from the presence of God. You you can't escape the gaze of God. God knew where they were the whole time. Jonah was trying to attempt an impossibility to hide from God's gaze. And while that is foolish, and I'm sure we would all agree that it was, that isn't the most important lesson to be learned here. Most important lesson is not to, to learn that Jonah tried to go to the ends of the earth to try to get away from God's command. More important question should be asked. The question is why? Why did Jonah flee? Why did Jonah try to go to the ends of the earth to try to get away from God's command to him? Why would Jonah try to do this? Why did Jonah refuse to obey? After all, the message that was given to him that he was supposed to communicate was a message of destruction for his enemy. You, you would think that Jonah w- wouldn't be able to wait to get to Nineveh so that he could look at him and say, listen, God's going to destroy you. I mean, you would think that he would be trying to get there as quickly as he could to tell them that. I mean, let's start that clock right now, 40 days, right? From right, oh, you're going to die. You guys are wiped out of here. You would think that's what Jonah would want to do. Well, we can spend time speculating. Maybe it was because of how wicked the people were. Maybe Jonah was, was just terrified of what could happen to him as a preacher of the gospel, preacher of God's word, as a prophet of God. I mean, we, that certainly could have been in the equation. It could have been part of it. But rather than speculate, the truth for why Jonah refused to go is actually found right in the Scriptures. Right in God's Word. That's why studying the Bible is so important. You see, we can flip over to Jonah chapter number 4. And we can find, Jonah tells us exactly why he didn't want to go. Verse number 2. After he'd preached the message and everything, we come to verse number 2 of chapter 4. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish. He says, this is why I ran. This is why I fled. This is why I tried to go as far away as I could. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, Great kindness, repentance of the evil. What was he saying? Jonah looks here and he says, listen, the reason that I didn't want to go and preach to Nineveh was not because I was afraid of what they would do to me. In fact, we see multiple times throughout the book of Jonah that Jonah says, just take my life. Jonah wasn't afraid of dying. It was because he knew who God is. He says, God, you're gracious. I knew and I know that you are gracious 
and you're merciful and you're slow to anger and you have great kindness. And, and the last part, he said, I know that you're forgiving. And listen, those are all things that normally we would sit there and say, amen, praise God, I'm thankful that he's all those things. All of us would sit here today and say, I'm thankful God's gracious. I'm thankful he's merciful. I'm thankful he's slow to anger. I'm thankful that he's forgiving. I'm I'm thankful for that. And listen, in Jonah's life, you would think he'd be saying, God, I'm thankful that you are those things. But instead he points the finger at God and he says, God, I knew that you would do these things because I know who you are. You see, Jonah, the reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh was because he wanted no part in God's mercy being extended to his enemies. Jonah Jonah was all about God's grace and mercy for Israel, but he desired judgment for Nineveh, for Assyria. His love for his country overshadowed his willingness to take God's word to a country that needed God's mercy. Jonah had determined that he would be the one who would decide who should receive the mercy of God. Listen, friend, today's message is simple. Who in your life Have you determined, does it deserve to be given God's mercy? Let's ask it in a different way. Because there's probably nobody here that's saying, yeah, I don't think they deserve the mercy of God. You probably haven't even said that phrase in, in your life, maybe, okay? But let's ask it a different way. Who have you said, whether audibly or in your heart, I'm done with them? I'm done with them. I tried, but I'm I'm done. I mean, I I try I tried to be kind. I tried to be nice. I tried to be generous. And the way they respond, and you know what? I'm just done with them. What are we saying? We're saying no more mercy, no more grace. Just give them over. They don't deserve mercy or grace. They deserve judgment. And you know what? Here's the thing. Maybe you're right. That probably is what they deserve. You say, all right, yeah, okay. I was getting, I feel a little conviction there for a second. And, and then, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, they do deserve it. You're right. Okay, now we're on the same page here. Okay, yeah. But don't forget, Nineveh didn't deserve God's mercy either. And neither do you. See, the overarching application of the book of Jonah is not that you and I are Jonah. That's, we, oftentimes we, we apply our life in the life of Jonah. And listen, we, as we go through the book of Jonah, we're going to make application from the life of Jonah. But the truth of the matter is, in the story of Jonah, you and I are many times, we're not Jonah. You know who we are? No, we're not the fish, okay? Listen. <laughs> not carrying out God's plan, okay? We're Nineveh. And we don't deserve God's mercy. And we don't deserve God's grace. 
You were broken in your sins, the Bible tells us. Left to yourself, you would have found your way directly into the pit of a lake of fire for all of eternity. But God, Romans 5.8 tells us, He commendeth His love toward us. He showed His love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hey, listen, here's some homework for you this week, okay? You need to take the book of Jonah, okay? I know if you were in Sunday school, you already got to read the book of Colossians. But, okay, listen, take the book of Jonah this week and go through and see how many times God steps in. How many times the scripture says, but God, or now the Lord. It's amazing to me. You're going to see how many times that, that Jonah was going this way, or Nineveh was going this way, or this was happening over here. But God intervened. God stepped in and everything changed and the story was transformed. Why? Because God intervened. And friend, can I tell you this? You and I did nothing to deserve the grace and mercy of God. You and I were his enemies. But God intervened. As he hung on that cross and he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How could you or I determine That someone in our life doesn't deserve to be shown God's mercy or His grace. Jesus, while He was on this earth in Luke, preached many things. But one thing in particular is He talked about our enemies. In Luke chapter, chapter number 6, verse 27, He said this, But I say unto you, which here, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them that despitefully use you. Listen, there's a lot of messages that Jesus preached in the Bible that that we might have a hard time receiving. I don't know if there's any of them that are so hard to accept than that one. Love your enemies? Do good to them? Pray for them? I mean, come on. How am I supposed to do do that? Most of us are over here saying, I'm done. I'm done. And God says, no, 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 don't, don't throw up your hands and say you're done. Go do something for them. Go be a blessing to them. Pray for them. I mean, let's just be honest. Most of the time, we don't find ourselves over here saying, Lord, would you please bless them? Would you, would you help me to love them? No, most of the time, we find ourselves over here going, I'm done. Done. Numbers chapter number 16 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I've, I've talked about it many times because it's one of my favorites. Numbers chapter number 16, it begins with, with Korah and a group of men coming to Moses and, and to Aaron, and they say, Oh, you've taken too much upon you, and, and, and you, just, you guys just want all the praise, all the glory. And basically, what they say, and Moses and Aaron, I mean, they're broken over this. Oh, that's not at all what we, what's going on here. We're just trying to lead the people of Israel. And they, they, I mean, they, and, and so finally, Moses comes to the Lord, talks to the Lord, and the Lord says, okay, he says, separate yourself from them. And, and, and so the next day, he says, okay, we're going to find out who are the Lord's and who aren't. Who are following God and truly trying to seek the Lord and who aren't. And so the Bible tells us 
Moses and Aaron are standing there, and Korah and 250 other people, other men are, are standing there on the other side, and all of a sudden, the Bible tells us that God shows who were truly his followers. It would be interesting if, if things like this still happened today, okay? Listen, it would make things very obvious for us. The Bible tells us that the ground opens up underneath all that group, all Korah, 250 of them, and it swallows them up. I don't know about you, but I would think that would be a wake-up call, okay? I mean, like, if you're standing there and you're watching this happen, I mean, can you imagine? You're standing on the sideline, you're like, okay, I wonder which ones are the Lord's. Is it Moses and Aaron, or is it these guys over here? There's 250 of them. I wonder who it is. And, and I mean, like, you would think that in that moment, it would be pretty obvious. But the Bible tells us that the very next day, <laughs> the children of Israel rise up and they murmur and complain against Moses and against Aaron. They rise up and they say, this happened because of you. You did this. I mean, like, scratch your head, look at them like, what? Like, are you kidding me? Listen, if I was Moses and Aaron, I at this point would have said, I'm done with you. I mean, like, honestly. They're standing there and they look over. And a cloud is over the tabernacle symbolizing the presence of God. God wants to talk to Moses and Aaron. And and so Moses and Aaron enter into that tabernacle. And the Bible tells us that God looks at Moses and Aaron and he tells them, he says, listen, I want you to get out of there because I'm going to destroy all of them. Okay? And, And Numbers chapter number 16, verse number five. Get you up from among this congregation that I may consume them as in a moment. That's what the Bible says. I mean, he says, listen, I am going to wipe them out. And listen, if I'm Moses, if I'm Aaron in that situation, me and my flesh, I'm saying, go for it. I mean, come on. These guys are nothing but a headache for me. But that's not what they did. It says, and they fell upon their faces. And they begin to beg God, God, please, no, spare them. Oh, God, please don't destroy them. The Bible tells us that Moses and Aaron, they make an atonement for the people. And Aaron takes this atonement and he runs down into the midst of the people. And as he's running, the Bible tells us that the plague had begun. And I don't know if you're like me, but I have a visual, a graphic mind. I can almost see it happening. The plague is sweeping across and people are dropping off. I mean, just one after another, after another, after another, after another. People are dying left and right as this plague is sweeping across. And I can see Aaron. I mean, like, this, is, this would make it an incredible movie, okay? Aaron is just, I mean, he is busting his, he, he's running as fast as he can to get down there. And the Bible tells us, in Numbers chapter number 16, verse number 48, And he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. Oh, man, I can see it. There, Aaron, as he finally reaches that point. And I mean, all the people, they're running. Because, I mean, it's sweeping across. People are dying left and right. And Aaron's just, I mean, he's booking it down there. and He's got his, his atonement. And he gets down there. And suddenly, there's, I mean, there's that point where, I mean, people are dropping. And Aaron stands there. And all of a sudden, the people, they start to slow down. And they turn around. And they look. And, I mean, it's a wasteland. Over 14,000 people have died. And they look out. And they see them all laying on the ground. And all these people back here are like, we just barely made it. Listen, they didn't deserve it. 
They deserve to be on the other side. But Aaron, who had just spent the day being falsely accused, people saying things against them, I mean, people that literally wanted to take them out and maybe take their life, Aaron making that decision to go to a place that no doubt was uncomfortable, go to a place that nobody else was willing to go to, and to stand between the the dead and the living. The moment they could have chosen vengeance, they chose mercy. The book of Jonah is a message not to a nation of Nineveh, but to the prophet of God. A message not of judgment, but of mercy. While Jonah hated the nation of Nineveh, God knew the names of each person, each child in that city, and he desired to show them mercy. Jonah wanted to choose who deserved God's mercy and grace, but God said, whosoever will. This morning, you may not know the names of some of the families that are maybe over in Colombia or in in Burma. You you may not know the names of the families uh, over in Kenya or some of the other countries where we have missionaries that we support. But God knows their names. May we not be so focused on our national pride. And listen, I'm thankful that I am an American. I am proud to be an American. I am grateful to be an American. But sometimes we can be so consumed with us that we forget there's a whole world that's lost and dying on their way to hell. You can walk down this hallway and this wall of of missionaries that we support that have given their lives to go to somewhere in this world. To take a gospel to a people. Some of them not much different than the group of Nineveh. We have one missionary, and I won't mention their names, but they're missionaries to North Korea. Man, you talk about Nineveh. We have an opportunity to partner with them? And, and what do we do? I just don't have any money to, to help send a missionary somewhere. You know, isn't that sad? It's, it's, it'd be, why? Because it's all about us. It's all about me. What are, we discern, what are we doing in that moment? We're discerning in ourselves who deserves God's mercy and who doesn't. Yeah, these guys over here, yeah, I mean, you know, the, they deserve, here in Whitehall, in Butte, I mean, in, in Three Forks, in, in, in Sheridan, in Twin Bridges, you know, kind of our little region here, yeah, we deserve God's mercy, we deserve a church here, yeah, 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 and we wouldn't say it, but, you know, I mean, come on, I'll probably never go there, and I'll probably never see them, and I'll never know anybody there anyway, so it's just... It's not, it's not that I don't care. It's just, you know. You may not think that your boss or your family member deserves it. And they probably don't. But you can choose today to demonstrate God's mercy to a perceived enemy. 
You can choose to let go of your anger and bitterness and show God's grace and mercy. Maybe you're here today and you don't believe that you deserve to experience God's mercy. And you're right. And he extends an invitation to you today to receive his gift of eternal life anyway. The I am of Jonah's day is the same I am today. We must choose today in our life to learn the lesson that Jonah tried to refuse and extend God's mercy today. Let's have heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Simple message, simple